It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Welcome back from a secure bunker underneath uh, planet Earth. It's American Loser, guys. Uh, we're at an undisclosed location today, but we wanted to bring you guys an episode. And real quickly, I just want to start off by saying thank you so much to Mike and Ming at the Shared Universe. Um, they hooked us up. Again, undisclosed location here today. But who else behind the remote ones and twos could it be other than the big kahuna? How are you, brother? How are you? How are you? We are practicing social distancing. We are at a safe remote location. We're doing great. It's uh you sound like me when I came out of surgery after anesthesia. <laughs> it's good to be here, man. I missed you. Missed you too, buddy, for real. It's uh it's weird times, but uh as as you and I said earlier, there's ways to practice social distancing, stay safe, keep other people safe. And still have a little bit of a life. Exactly. So we got to find that middle ground here, man. Um, it's been super weird because no one's called me Big Kahuna. Thank. Shout out to Nick Franco for keeping up my Big Kahuna <laughs> supply up because that's all he calls me. It's a uh, well. Nick is a uh, Nick. Such a great guy, man. Um, I was a guest on him and Pete's show. Uh, the what exit? I think it is. The, the, yeah. Their jersey. They have a fun game they do where it's jersey or not jersey at the end, which I, I like that concept. I told him I said just that concept, like cl- clip the very end of every episode. And just put that chunk up on YouTube, and you'd get people playing along at home almost, you know? Yeah, you could have, like, a game. Well, because they, they do – they go deep on that, too, where there'll be a guy who was born in Jersey, but you, you never knew it because he grew up somewhere else. So they, they That's wild. They I'm usually pretty good on pop culture shit that way, but they, they punked me out a few times. Um I'm a f- I'm I'm gonna check that out because I was watching it, but I don't think I peeped that last part. I'm supposed to go on his show soon too. But shout out Nick Franco, you the man. Well, Nick also him bringing me as a guest on that show inspired me to get back uh, at work here, if you will. I know we can't be in studio, but we can at least work on some shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, we can at least try. Yeah. So uh, I got a, a fun one for you today. It's uh it's good. Uh, by the way, listeners, at the end, uh, as you can tell, Larry Burke not here. Uh, LP, just just a very brief recap here, um, less than a minute recap, I'll say, uh, to tell you what's going on with us. We banged out our last episode here. Uh, well, we actually we were in the studio. And um, after that one, um, we went home and we had another date scheduled. We literally paid for everything. It was good to go. We were coming down. And uh, we were all set. And then uh, Governor Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, put out his thing about non-essential travel and uh, – my father and I decided maybe it wasn't worth it to, to come down and, uh, and and put everybody at risk, especially the fact that the next day we had him on a flight back down to Florida to be with my mom. So it yeah. was, you know. <laughs> you were like, you know what? Better safe than sorry for at least a little while. Yeah, that was the move. So um, LP is in South Florida. I'm in contact with them uh, every day down there. You know, everything's good. Family's doing okay. And uh, they're waiting for their opportunity to come back up north. And through the magic of, uh, I guess, Zoom, we're going to do later. Uh, towards the tail end of the episode to to talk about a topic that I'm just going to briefly go over uh, in the, the intro to this episode. Uh, we're going to bring in for the finer points, uh, Captain Larry Burke. So, <laughs> um, 
But uh, rest assured, guys, we got uh, we got some more stuff coming. I know we launched the Patreon. We had some great people start to support us right away. Um, I'm going to continue to use this time to, to fine-tune that and really get uh, going with it. The plan is uh, still, like we said, you get an episode for free every week. So if you don't join the Patreon, I'm still going to give you the show. I don't want to be a jerk that way. But if you like what we do and you want to help us out with just some of the small costs um, of doing business that we have, we don't make money. I lose money on the show, if I'm being honest. Um, and I'm, I'm, it would be nice to someday make money on it, but to break even would be, that's our first goal. So if you feel like throwing us a couple of bucks for that, whatever, we will give you a free fifth episode every month. So you will get one bonus episode that will not be released to the public. Uh, that being said, we're going to dive straight into today's American Loser, brother. I'm, uh, Ooh, I'm excited for this. This is the return one, people. He's a, and it has all the themes of an American Loser that we've covered so far, where it's... Um, oh, okay. Yeah, remembered well, but maybe, you know, some stupid shit that they did. Uh, a couple... Okay. There's a Jersey connection. Um, oh, so it's all in one. Yep, and there's uh, multiple instances of loserception. Someday you'll find it, <laughs> the Jersey connection. <laughs> KP Burke, Kahuna... And Larry. And LP. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was perfect. <laughs> That's for you, Nick. <laughs> Someday I want to get, uh, like I was talking to you about, I want to get drops for uh, whenever we bring those weird things up, like the sound effects to let people know, because they people get excited when they hear the Jersey Connection sometimes. Um, and then also Loserception is it's a reward for people who are diligent listeners. Of the show, <laughs> so I like that. The Jersey tie-in thing should be... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I thought the Sopranos themes. Like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> I'm about that. Well, all uh, right. Today's guy, not a Jersey guy, but an East Coast guy. All right. Uh, statues honoring today's loser exist all over the country. However, mm. he is uh, also, in fact, the official state hero. Okay, that's a cool title. The official state hero of of Connecticut. Yeah, he narrowly beat out uh, singer Michael Bolton, but. Um, <laughs> If you're the official uh, state hero of anything, you probably accomplished quite a bit. I didn't even know that was a title. Me neither. And it makes you wonder who's the official hero of Jersey. Cause That's so cool. To me, I think it should be uh, uh, Molly Pitcher. I'm surprised it's not K.P. Burke. That's uh, We have time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the most interesting qualities is that like a few other losers here that we've discussed in the past, today's loser uh, is born in one country but becomes a hero in another. With the weird exception that he never left the country he was born in. How's that possible? It's revolution, baby. Zoom. What if Way the, early on. <laughs> <laughs> what, if, uh, what if the country you're in becomes another country while you're in it? Mm. Yeah. So okay. That's what's going on around this time frame, dude. So born June 6th, which would later be D-Day, 1755. Today's loser is Nathan Hale. Okay. Sub Nathan. All right. You ever hear the name uh, Nathan Hale? No, I don't know. I don't know old Nathan Hale. Let he's, let me hear about him. Well, he's got a very famous quote that we're going to get to at the end, which is uh, disputed a little bit. So, okay. But a uh, damn good story, I think. Born in Coventry, Connecticut, and a smart kid. When he was just fourteen years old, he was sent along with his brother Enoch, which is what the. F yeah. Why would you name your kid Enoch? It's, like, uh, uh, is that a there's a particular meaning behind it? But like, that's just asking to get picked on. Yeah, well, that that's why they always become Nucky right away, like in uh, Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> um, You're setting your own emotional damage there, man. <laughs> <laughs> a uh, a boy named Sue type atmosphere. Oh my so. god! <laughs> but uh, quite the name uh, to go study. The two of them get sent. So Enoch is 16, and uh, Nathan is uh, 14. Okay. And by the way, you want to get angry about uh your name imagine your name is enoch 
and then your uh, your younger brother gets a cool name like Nathan. I'd be pissed. Like, this is bullshit. I'd be really mad. This is bullshit. <laughs> um, but they go to a little school called Yale. You ever hear of Yale, Cahoons? My education don't go that high, so I, no, I don't know if it's a Yale. I'll say this. We, we almost have another quote here that we're about to have to throw out because we, we always say um, uh, don't mess with uh, Boston, that that's always a thing there, and don't fuck with TR. Is this like a bros before hoes type of this one, sort of, because this one turns into Yale never disappoints. Okay, and and you're gonna, it's it's a fascinating story up there, man. Yale never disappoints. Yale is a uh, it's a hotbed of debate and the brilliant minds of the times. Obviously, it's one of the most esteemed institutions in America. It actually predates America too, to a degree. Well, to be fair, they haven't heard of a shared universe yet. So. <laughs> Shout out to us. <laughs> well, uh, Nathan would not know it at the time, but a classmate of his. A guy by the name of uh, Benjamin Talmadge. Uh, Talmadge Road is almost all over the place in Jersey. Uh, pretty common uh, last name. A lot of times it's done in honor of that guy. Okay. He later goes on to be head of the Culper Ring. Okay. More on them from our special guest in South Beach later. Okay. Uh, Nathan and his brother were both mom- uh, members of what's known as the Lenonian Society. So... It, it gets fun when you start talking about... They did a flooring business? Cl- exactly. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. I was like, ah, oh, finally, a little manual labor out of these kids. <laughs> um, but it's one of Yale's oldest societies and debate groups. Uh, other groups on a Yale campus would include Skull and Bones, which seems to churn out every other president. We've talked about them mm-hmm. a few times, but it's always like the the smallest amount of information because that's all there is. Yep, usually a, a head, uh, usually the deputy directors of the CIA have links to them. So oftentimes the head of uh, Exxon Mobil will have connections to them. In fact, in two thousand four, and again, I always preface this: we are not a political show. No. Um, in two thousand four. Uh, you had John Kerry as the Democrat running against the incumbent George W. Bush Republican. First time they uh, two ran against each other. And two Skull and Bones members ran against each other. Isn't that crazy? And they were both asked, tell us a little bit about that club. And they go, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, oh my God. How many times do you think someone's tried to drop a tell-all book and that shit got squashed? Uh, they're still secretive to this day and in business, by the way. There's still a clubhouse on Yale campus. That's terrifying. Oh, yeah. It's it's very fun to... Uh, That's like openly passing the bat cave. It's like, <laughs> nice house, nice house, Batman, nice house, nice house. Okay. <laughs> there's a little Knights Templar to them, too. There's some uh, There's some Freemason ideas the there. Stonehenges. It's, it's cool, man. It's very fun to get lost down that wormhole. Wait, no. It's not the Stonehenges. What's the fucking one from The Simpsons? The... What's the Simpsons ones that they made up, their own secret society? Well, Stonehenge you're talking about is the rock formation. No, I know it's, I know that's the rock formation, um, but I think that's what they called it in the Simpsons parody. I know it's when you're talking. It's when Homer joins the... We uh, do, we do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm uh, blanket, damn it. Oh, well. Think of it and then hit me with it later. Okay. Um, but uh, so this Lenonian society predates Skull and Bones. Um, uh, but the Lenonians, uh, they have um, it, it's a debate club, pretty much uh, debate heavy society. Um, they talk about the the, the topic, you know, topics of the day. Back then, even before America, they're debating the ethics of slavery, so that it's always been a topic of discussion for people. Oh wow! So, um, but interestingly enough, there's a, a couple of famous Lenonian members too. So we talked about the famous Skull and Bones guys. By the way, weirdest Skull and Bones member, Paul Giamatti. Wait, what? Yep. Are you serious? Absolutely true. You you go down the list of the alumni from that group, and it's it's all 
you know, CIA guys, major CEOs. Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. <laughs> wow. Yep. That's wild. Excuse me. Hey, Paul, you want to tell us about your time in, in Skull and Bones? Uh, sure. Actually, he does it on the, the director's commentary of Sideways. Um, does he really? No. Oh, God damn <laughs> Could it. you imagine? <laughs> you imagine how many sales for uh, that movie I just made? But um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is that Lowell from Wings? Oh, um, but uh, no, the Lenonians have their own uh, share of famous members. So obviously Nathan Hale, who today's loser, is one of their esteemed members. They brag about having him around. Um, they brag about having uh, uh, other members would include uh, John C. Calhoun, future former vice president, um, and then William Howard Taft, who was uh, also a Supreme Court justice and then also a president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a additional member that they're quite proud of is uh, the author of one of my favorite books ever that I wrote as a kid. Um, the you last wrote this book? I, oh, I read it, I should say. I'm <laughs> having my word vomit. You, you wrote the book report. That's a <laughs> there you go. Well, I read the abridged version because I was a kid, but I read uh, one of my favorite books ever, Last of the Mohicans. Oh, wow. Which is written by, do you know the author? It's okay if you don't. Mm-mm. James Fenimore Cooper. Okay. That's a cool-ass name. James, oh, he is a, it does have a cool-ass name. And uh, get this. He's from Burlington, New Jersey. No Jersey Connection. Shit. Yep. So it is. Uh, <laughs> well, we, we honor him by writing one of the greatest American novels of all time with a rest stop on the turnpike. That's how we like to reward the great people of this state. Is it like one of the nice ones? It is actually. Yeah. There you go. There ain't nothing wrong with that. But like I said, the Lenonians are, uh, are interesting. They um, Are they still around? Uh, I don't believe so, but their their debates would include, like I said, the educational topics they're being taught in school. They would expand upon almost like a club. And then also they would talk um, a lot about ethics, which isn't taught in school, but should probably be brought back immediately. Mm. You know, a lot of people don't. Logic needs to be taught and ethics. There's, those you, are, high school level 101 <laughs> logic. Yep. <laughs> Think about it. In, in quarantine right now, how useful is anything you learned in high school for the most part? It's tough, right? And now this is—I'm the son of two teachers, and they would agree with me. All right, me. that's not fair though, because I had a video class, and I'm making a lot of videos while I'm under quarantine. Okay, that I will say. But you're completely right. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, stuff like like I, I tore a sleeve on something, and my mom wa- I had to like explain to me how to to use the sewing kit downstairs. And I, I didn't was, even have that in my high school. Yeah, see that they get rid of all that stuff, man. This is useful shit. Like, I still believe shop should still be... That's a whole other discussion. Oh, and, don't get Larry Burke involved with oh that one. God. So <laughs> I figured once he said shop, like one of the first times I met him, I was like, I'm not going to say nothing because he, he understands how I feel. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, well, I had to take a sheetrock knife to the downstairs basement the other day to find a leak. So he's excited because now he has something to do when he comes home. <laughs> um, but uh, now, well, uh, we don't know the meet, like the minutes of these meetings, but I think it would be a safe bet to say that during Hale's tenure there during a, as a member of the Lenonians that uh, some discussion would probably be had over this wild idea that's going on that questioned whether or not the colonists were truly, quote, British. Really? Yeah, so keep in mind the time here. So he's born in 55, right? At age 14, he's shuffled off to Yale. And uh, so now there's this idea that, I mean, first of all, let's be honest, there's a group in nearby Boston, right? Because there's that debate. Is Connecticut part of the tri-state area or is Connecticut part of New England? I consider it part of the tri-state area it's depending on where you're at yeah yeah because like i mean from here it's depending probably like a three two and a half hour drive yeah 
And uh, so, but there is that weird because then there's other people in Connecticut that consider themselves part of New England. So that that's a Red Sox and uh, Patriots Celtics kind of a time frame. But um, anyhow, it's uh, what made me uh, interested in all this is that uh, he's up in Connecticut now over in Boston, not too far away. There's a little group uh, known as uh, the Sons of Liberty that are uh, over in Boston discussing things like that in taverns and the tensions with the British crown are growing with every new, quote, act getting passed by the king. We covered this earlier, like in a a couple other episodes of of Revolutionary Time Frame, but just to recap, if you're a new listener or if uh, you're a a regular listener and you don't quite remember some of this stuff, I don't blame you, but uh, here's a couple of the acts that were getting passed by King George that the colonists were getting pissed about. Okay. Uh, One would be the Stamp Act. That required all paper products for commerce, like a newspaper or any legal document, all had to have the official stamp of the British government on it. So you couldn't have you couldn't have a notepad or a legal pad or anything like that unless it was endorsed by the crown. And of course, they tax you for the privilege of having that. So, and then, if you like, if you didn't have it, you would get fined or punished or something. Fined, or you wouldn't be able to do business. So it would be like you know. So I couldn't be the legal notepad guy because I didn't want the British right on my fucking exactly. Paper. You couldn't send a letter. And keep in mind, back then it was all letters that were being sent out. So you, mail and correspondence was wow. crucial. So that was a that was a fuck you. That was like putting a tax on having a, a zipper on your pants. You had to have it, and now they're going to tax you for the privilege of something that's a necessity. So yeah. um, the one that that definitely you could see why it pissed people off was the Quartering Act. So the Quartering Act was it would force you as a colonist to house and feed, provide room and board and food for a British soldier in your own house. Oh, like you you would have to. Yeah. Like there's no way you can't. Yep. So uh, Wow. Okay. So British soldiers are coming over and uh in large part to uh you're starting imagine having like a an increased like uh like police presence. And I mean we, we, we can discuss police stuff at another time, but uh now it's your responsibility to house the police, uh feed the police, and then also the but then the police are there to enforce rules on you like the Stamp Act. NWA would have been a lot That's <laughs> Yeah, don't get uh, don't get you know Chuck D and the boys in Public Enemy uh, talking about that one. Leave but, the police, uh, he ate all the food in my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so you got that going on, and then also uh, I, I did the math on this one roughly rough math. Okay, uh, the Boston Massacre takes place in 1770. Okay, so that is British troops firing upon a crowd of protesters. Um, he's about he's in his twenties at this point. No, or, or no, I... no. Uh, so it would be uh, he would have been like fifteen around the time. Okay, but he would have already been at Yale. Oh, okay. So now, now Nathan Hale, as we're going to cover, does not get to live to be an old man. Really? Yeah. It's uh, it, it, fifteen is a uh, fifteen is almost uh, his geriatric years. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, it's a sad story, but it's a good one. Wow. So you got this spirit of revolution that is, uh, or at least at the very least, the idea of a rebellion. Because when you really go back in time with it, because you know who defended um, the Boston massacre, uh, that the, the British troops legally defended them in court. Who? John Adams. Yeah, because John Adams wanted to do it to prove to the crown that we're civil people over here in the colonies. We're capable of governing ourselves, and I'm going to ensure these men get a fair trial, even though they've murdered citizens of you know the New World, if you will. Yeah. So that was like a big deal, and that was um, that was a thing that that he caught some heat for because his own cousin Sam Adams the uh, <laughs> was uh, was pretty much absolutely against it because he was like. These the British troops fired upon us. We got to do. This. Yeah, but it's almost like an outclassing act. It's like yeah. we got to prove to them that we're better than what they did. That that's why it like, worked. That's incredible. Yeah, and he 
still, John Adams was you know a, a force to, to be right. I mean, one of the most important presidents we ever had. Um, and then keep in mind that's 1770 when that happens. So he literally postpones um, what could have been like uh, you know full on rebellion uh, post Boston Massacre. He delays that five years. So he buys the country five years, if you will. And there's still the crowns doing that. They're repealing some acts. They're enacting others. It's uh, it gets to be difficult. Uh, you got a Boston Tea Party thing going on. I mean, it's Boston's a hotbed of activity. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, obviously the, even Philadelphia, which was mostly a Tory or loyalist city. Mm-hmm. There's still people who are starting to bitch and moan about, uh, again, taxation without representation. So they're, they're not getting a seat in uh, parliament. Uh, so why are we dealing with this? And we're sending some of the guys who are going to become known as the founding fathers over to England to plead their cases in front of the king. One of them, including old Benny Franklin. <laughs> so, wow. Good old puss dick Ben Franklin <laughs> coming on over there. Oh, my there. God. Why? So, sores and all. <laughs> oh, God. No, that guy rules. Um, uh, I, I can't think of anybody who's more beloved, absolutely beloved in American history than him. Like You know what's crazy, though, too? It's like when you say his name, people automatically have an idea of who he is. Like I even even as a kid when I didn't know fully who Benjamin Franklin was. You say his name and you're like, oh, founding fathers, Declaration of Independence, all that bullshit. Yep. So it was like, okay, like you have a you have an idea from a very young age, like without even kind of acknowledging it. That and I was raised with Liberty Kids on PBS, <laughs> so I cheated a little bit. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, dude. Um, no, but uh, this was a fascinating time to be alive. Um, in 1773. Hale graduates from Yale at age 18. Imagine being done with a Yale education at age 18. And he graduated with honors, too. There was no, like, hey, I'm moving on kind of a thing. Really? Um, So he did what everyone uh, wants uh, to do when you hope to have your summers off. He becomes a teacher. Um, It uh, didn't last long, though. Hale joins a Connecticut militia and was made slash elected a first lieutenant in his militia. Now, the difference between a militia and a standing army is that the militia is made up of volunteers. So Nathan was heading the militia? Not heading, but uh, playing an officer role because he would be an educated man. So, uh, you know, what? that's a good point to break down real quick, too. A lot of people don't know this. So um, you have the enlisted side in the military and you have the commissioned side. So the commissioned side is your officers that typically starts at like a second lieutenant. um, And then uh, those are the people that would be referred to as Mr. or Mrs., uh, you know, whenever you're speaking to them. Probably a dumb question, but is it still that way? In oh, the yeah. Military? Okay. Yeah. So if you have a college degree, you and not necessarily you don't uh, you, you have to put in an officer's package and then and then be commissioned as an officer. And you have to accept a commission. It's a really cool ceremony. I got to see one of them happen uh, while I was in. But I was an enlisted guy, which means they take you from whatever and you're able to climb the ranks from that. So typically like uh, whenever you see like a, a grizzled hardened sergeant or something like that in uh, any of the military movies mm-hmm. those are your enlisted guys who came up from uh, being you know E1's privates yeah and then uh, the officers who uh, you know they typically would start out at usually it's a second lieutenant position um, depending on what branch you're talking about but um, what's the hierarchy in that kind of situation so like the the officers are like the are they the top or is oh, yeah, it yeah. okay so but there's a mutual respect thing so if you have a badass sergeant that is um you know he's going to carry out whatever orders that the um the officer puts down to him but the officer is oftentimes uh not as experienced as the the say a, a, a guy who's just, a lifer you know okay. what I mean? So for me in the Navy, we would have a division officer. We had a great guy, a division officer, too. He's a lieutenant junior grade. 
Uh, I loved him. Very fun to talk to. Awesome guy, too. Um, and he uh, he was experienced, but he often would like ask for the opinion of some of our chief petty officers because those guys had like 15, 16 years in, and he was like maybe five, six years into his career. So, so. he would always ask the old guard for the for the advice to kind of make sure that things are running smoothly. Okay. Oh, yeah. A great example of that is in We Were Soldiers when you have the Sam Elliott character um, and Mel Gibson's character that Mel Gibson kind of relies on him like, uh, you know, that, that those two have been through the shit together. So they kind of know that there's – there's it, it clearly there's a rank and hierarchy, okay. but there's also mutual respect. Yeah. So All right. Yeah, kind of cool shit there, man. I was, I would, it was a. We went down a side road there, but I was happy to because a lot of people don't know that. No, stuff. it because it, that I I can probably speak for a lot of people. Like I didn't know that at all, <laughs> so that kind of gives me a little insight as to where old Nathan is hanging right now. Well, he's uh, like I said, he's he's an educated guy. He's very smart. Everyone talks about how he conducts himself, and then, and the the imagery they talk about him is that. He was a little bit taller than uh, the other men of the time. And we, we know how there's that weird thing with height that p- tall people just get treated differently for some reason. <laughs> I can confirm. Yeah, it's, it's subconscious, <laughs> you know. Um, going to Asbury Park when it was open was fun because every time I would go in like a crowd, I would always stick out on the top. And I could <laughs> like I, my friend would be like, hey, where's such and such? Hold on. Just, just look over the crowd like a fucking giraffe. There he is. <laughs> oh, it's the best, man. It's a. Uh... <laughs> it's fun being tall. Shout out to all my tall people. <laughs> <laughs> and shout out to everyone who's five nine or below, like myself. So eh, if you can hear it, that's a... <laughs> <laughs> not bad, buddy. Not bad. That's <laughs> so. Um, he does go into teaching. He's working as a teacher. He starts that career in 1773. Uh, we know some shit's coming up. There's there's some stuff coming up in history. 1773. Buckle in. You know what I mean. Uh, it's like the part in the roller coaster where it's starting to build up, yeah. Like, and you're starting to get really nervous because it's King Daka, and the drop is coming way quicker than you thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it doesn't last long. Uh, like we say, he joins that Connecticut militia, okay. and he's a bright kid. He's a leader of men. He's got, um, you know, they, they describe his features. They describe him as like a handsome guy, a little bit taller, and, and well spoken. And um, so, what would become known as the uh, the American Revolution is now uh, starting to get underway. And Hale's unit, this Connecticut militia, takes part in what's known as the Siege of Boston. Okay, Siege of Boston often gets overlooked due to the uh, the more extravagant uh, Battle of Bunker Hill, which I'm sure you've heard of, right? Yeah, Bunker Hill, you can't not hear that. One. I'm friends with you, man. That's a, <laughs> that's <on>. true. <laughs> um, so Bunker Hill is interesting because a it takes place on Breed's Hill, not Bunker Hill, but whatever, you know. <laughs> There's that amazing ass painting. I remember that you showed me for, I think, one of the episodes, actually. Well, there's some wild shit. I, I, that's my favorite thing to look through, too. Actually, Anthony Cianci, a, a regular guest on the show, my buddy Ant, um, him and his father came in the one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came in twice, actually, I think. I remember. Um, yeah, Houdini was the, the, that was one of my favorite episodes. Were they the ones that had the, the, the burger blog? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was Bill Cianci. He was owner cl- remembers that one. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. C was cleaning out his, uh, I guess, his attic or something like that and came across... Like the old uh, encyclopedias with uh, like the old ones of American history, and it has all the old paintings on it, which I love looking at. That's my the favorite. The pre Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> so, like the old oil paintings where someone would just create a scene from a battle and there'd be little shit hidden in the painting to kind of, you know, signify who was what and stuff like that. It was just my favorite things to look at. They're beautiful paintings. Yeah, like, it's cool. It, if I can, once this blows over and I can wipe them down, I'll bring them in here just to, because it'd be cool to have some real history and, you know, alongside every. 
every you know chapter of Iron Man. <laughs> we we got to get an American Loser one made. Well, that would be kind of cool, like a battle poster for American <laughs> Loser. Well, I have a, a friend of mine is doing a painting for me for Loser that uh, I'm gonna. Uh, I'll probably have to bring it back and forth here, but it's definitely got to be seen in the studio. Um, I'm, I can't wait for you to see it. Um, <laughs> All right, so like so far, what you're describing of Nathan isn't really standing out to me as loser. He's got the intelligence. Like, is it something that happened in in his demise that kind of makes him towards a loser, or yes, some choices, or it's it's going to be choices. It's going to be demise. It's going to be uh, now. Here's where um, how do I put this? There's people have um, people are often anxious to matter in the military a lot, and it happens in every other facet of life too. You say no to something and then you feel guilty about it. And then so the next go around, you, you get almost reckless with your decision to do it. Hmm. So that's what happens with old Nathan here. So this uh, siege of Boston is uh, about to take place. Now, the more extravagant battle of Bunker Hill, uh, we look at that as Americans almost as a victory. But we actually lost that. We lost, we couldn't hold the ground. But we inflicted massive damages on the British because they were marching uphill and we were holding the top of the position. And uh, literally the officers would scream the famous quote, now famous quote, I should say, uh, boys don't fire till you see the whites of their eyes. So that was saying, get, you know, make sure they're close. Make so sure they're eyes and close. Yeah, we're going to drop that line. Then while we reload our muskets, we can hit the other line. So, um, But for the siege of Boston, uh, General Washington, not President or Father Washington just yet, um, uh, General Washington has to trek all over the colonies and he gets his ass up to Boston in order to take command of uh, what is going to become the Continental Army. So the uh, Bostonians and the other colonials... Washington went up to Boston. He was looking for an army to lead. <laughs> <laughs> if you gave me time, I could make that full thing. <laughs> uh, fire on the bunker, run, boys, run. <laughs> so. Wow! That was awesome! <laughs> it's, this is why it works, buddy. This is why you and me work. I'm, gonna, I'm actually writing that down. That was not bad. Well, uh, Washington's going to – the Bostonians and the Colonials have now surrounded Boston and they're going to try to keep the, the troops within the city and some of the garrisons and outposts. They're trying to keep them at bay. But unfortunately, the British have control of the harbor. So they're able to get – you know, uh, not only are they able to resupply the guys within the city, so it's not really truly a siege because a siege is when you can't resupply. But we don't have a navy. So it's like just kind of a, a, a maiming? Almost uh, like just uh, kind of making some, just disrupting the norm, disrupting here, the norm. Here's a word for you. All right. You're going to like this one. So the, the, the Redcoats, the British troops that are trapped within Boston at certain spots of Boston. Mm -hmm. The assholes. Uh, one of them being uh, Dorchester Heights or Dorchester Heights, whatever you want to call it. I don't know how that accent would pronounce that. Dorchester. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're trapped within the city to a degree, but um, they're living relatively comfortable because the colonials have guns. They don't have cannons and stuff like that, really. So they can't do much. And they're getting resupplied by the ships, the British ships, because they have control of the harbor. So they're quarantined inside of the city, Kahuna. <laughs> but uh, they're getting delivery. Um, so anyway, uh, Washington's siege is going to need uh, more weapons in order to make it happen. Uh, luckily, some cannons and supplies are on their way down from uh, upstate New York and Canada, uh, where a certain Fort Ticonderoga has just been captured from the British by none other than Loserception. Do you remember who? Wait. Oh, crap. There's an egg dish named after him. I don't want to say it because if I'm wrong, I'm an idiot. No. But no, just just tell me. Yep. So uh, he recaptures Fort Ticonderoga from the British, 
Badass name for a fort, by the way. Oh, I want to reiterate that. I, That's I, such a cool name. You got to go one day, too. It's a beautiful... Uh, it's, it's, it's still around? That and Fort William Henry from the uh, French uh, and Indian War is still up. Wow. Those, those are that. That's that's the American two, history tour people. Literally, that's the the two of the vacations LP took me on as a kid with the family. You know, my mom and sister as well, and we I just got obsessed with history. Wow. But um, yeah, so uh, this guy captures Fort Ticonderoga and then goes, uh, "I need to get these cannons down to uh, Washington outside of Boston." And that man's name was Loserception Benedict Arnold. <laughs> See. I wanted to say it, but I was like, if you're wrong, you're going to sound so stupid. No. Oh, my God. I, I, the, the goal is to never make you feel stupid on this one because it was uh, – I had audio issues on Nick Franco's podcast a little bit, so I couldn't hear every now and then. And my dog was whining and stuff, and then Nick would ask me, like, a trivia question, and I would just be like – he would ask me something from, like, 1977 or whatever, and I, I just had to yell at him. I was like, I was born in 87, Nick. <laughs> but um, anyway, so uh, – Washington uh, gets these weapons now, and they bombard the British troops for two days straight. And British General Howe then relinquishes the ground, and on March 17th of that year, St. Patrick's Day, oddly enough, um, the British occupation of Boston ended. So Boston was now a free city. The, uh, again, dumb question incoming, but is would that be considered treason at that point from what he's doing? If it's if if what I'm understanding is what's happening right now, which part? Um, uh, just the American Revolution in general. N well, no, not well. Of course, that in general can be seen as that, but it obviously led to other bigger, better things. But I'm never mind. You know what? I thought I had a question, but I was just like, I guess I was just a little confused as to like what was actually happening. But I think I have a better understanding now. Well, here, here might be something to clarify for you. Okay. So you have hostilities going on at the time. Right. There's definitely a, you have incidents there. There's insubordination. There's rebellion. But there's also a hope that the king is just going to say, well, let's get you some representatives over in parliament. You could still be subjects of the British crown, but now you'll be represented in parliament. That's what some people want. Other people are saying, like, fuck that. We don't want this shit. We want to we want to be in charge of our own selves over here. You have you are 3000 miles away. You have no understanding of the, the you've never been to America. That's another thing too. No, no monarch ever visited the New World. Um, Wait, really? Yeah, no, no British monarch ever visited uh, the colonies. You know, it's I've I never got taught that in in school. Like not even once. Like that would be something. That's one of those things. Like where if you hear that as a kid, you remember that because like that's just so crazy sounding. Yeah. Well, but I mean, not, it was a long trip too. To be on. To be fair. Well, I know then. because at the time they were very dangerous to cross the ocean still because yeah. the technology was just not there. That didn't happen until, like, what, the late 1800s where it was, like, steamships and stuff like that. Yeah. You still have sailboats at this time. So, like, the Mayflower, like, while far off prior was not as far off. We're still in that age of that same technology. Right. Wow. It's – um, but so because of that, they're just like, well, you know, we got no real – you're not over here, man. You don't know what's going on. So a lot of them are uh, – th these acts of rebellion are potentially forgivable. Also, it's militias oh, fighting and defending okay. their hometown, and the colonists want guns. They want to be able to arm themselves, and the British government's saying no, so now they're stockpiling weapons in secret places. So it's everything that the British is infringing upon, or British are infringing upon, I should say, at the time, uh, are things that wind up becoming like the initial amendments. Um, in, in you know, not even the initial amendments, but just initial parts of the Declaration of Independence. Okay, uh, then the uh, Federalist Papers. 
uh, and then also uh, the, eventually the Constitution. So to super simplify it for Articles people, of Confederation for, is what no, I meant. For, I'm sorry, not Federalist Papers. No, no, no. I, I was actually just going to make a joke. I was like, to super simplify for old Kahuna, America at this point is the Beastie Boys, and they're fighting for their right to party. <laughs> okay. I like it. I like it. Um well, uh, see, I'd watch that movie in a heartbeat, like an American Revolution movie with the soundtrack of the Beastie Boys. Kick it! <laughs> <laughs> sabotage! <laughs> we got some sabotage coming up, actually. Oh, shit. O- oddly enough, you're giving me segues, dude. Um, so after, uh, like we said, they bombard the British troops for two straight days, and then uh, they wind up getting Boston back. So that's a pretty exciting thing. And the idea that uh, there was property damage on St. Patrick's Day, we continue that tradition every year with, <laughs> with some drunken revelry in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> Only weird thing about Hale's unit during the siege is that Hale wasn't there. He wasn't there. He didn't make the ride with them. Uh, it has been suggested for two possible reasons. One, he had just gotten married and he was uncertain about fighting because he, he, he was probably one of those, I'm a scholarly man, we can resolve this without violence kind of a thing. Um, and after all, he was a young kid that had spent his life involved in, in like we said, scholarly pursuits. He wasn't he exactly wasn't, Ethan he, Allen, who was an ass kicker. So he was m- more of a book, book smart guy, not really a fighter. Well, he'd never say. done it before. That's okay. the thing. So be, meanwhile, you got guys in the American Revolution that fought, uh, you know, in alongside British troops in the French and Indian Wars. And so these guys have combat experience. And then you have other guys that have been soldiers their whole lives. This guy's in the debate club. He's like, well, I don't, I mean, I guess I could shoot a gun. <laughs> but, um, and then the other Can one. Can I shoot a gun? <laughs> or is the gun shooting me? What is happening here? Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably an accurate depiction. Um, so then his, uh, his other thing is that his teaching contract wasn't up yet. And uh, think about this one, too, for a second. You have to risk. Um, there's a rev- there's sort of a revolution going on. There's fighting going on. You don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know that the war is going to wind up lasting, I think, seven years in total. Um, we think it could be over in a couple of weeks at this point. And uh, he's debating, like, well, do I walk out of my teaching contract and then alienate that employer where I can't go back to that job and then potentially have you know bad reports on me or a bad mark on my record? Yeah. So he's trying to figure that out. Now his, it's going to end in July for him his uh, contract. So then he also receives a letter from, again, his former classmate and now a higher up in the Continental Army, uh, that Benjamin Talmadge guy, the head of the the Culper Ring, which mm-hmm. uh, LP is going to dive into for us. Uh, Talmadge was at the siege himself, not as a combatant, just kind of to witness it. And he wrote to Hale, uh, was I in your condition? I think the more extensive service would be my choice. Our holy religion, the honor of our God, a glorious country and a happy constitution is what we have to defend. So I think obviously constitution didn't mean what we imply it meant at the time, you know, (laughs) but that letter had all the effect of imagine the Rocky music playing during Denzel Washington's Remember the Titans speech. See, thank you. Thank you for like, that's, thank you. I get it. Yep. So then Nathan Hale, he walked up, (laughs) he tore open his Hulkamania t-shirt and it was time to run wild on the American <laughs> Revolution. <laughs> so, um, he uh, joins the 7th Connecticut as a first lieutenant almost immediately after receiving that letter. And he joins a pretty badass group. Uh, this is an elite group known as Knowlton's Rangers. Okay. These guys were fucking cool, man. Uh, formed in 1776. They were involved with reconnaissance and espionage for General Washington directly. Uh, he was a spy? 
Well, Nathan, essentially. Nathan Hale? Yeah. He is uh he he is so in he's like almost America's first spy to a degree. That's so cool. Yeah. Wait, why are we talking about him? That doesn't seem like that much of a loser. Well, what would be what do they always say about what would make a memorable James Bond movie? Uh don't suck. Killing James Bond. No, that's true. <laughs> so uh in uh, September of 1770, oh, I should cover this too. This group, uh, Knowlton's Rangers, it uh, predates, uh, th- this is from uh, a little research I did on them. Uh, the group predates Delta Force, the Army Rangers, and other spec ops groups, okay? So obviously my favorite spec ops groups, do my own you know, pride and knowing a, a member or two, is the Navy SEALs. But you can't have Navy SEALs if you don't have a Navy yet. So this group, Knowlton's Rangers, predates all that shit. Um, in September of 1776, Knowlton's Rangers were doing – because keep in mind, we've, we've freed Boston now. So we're going to travel south, right? Because there's, there's the campaign going on up in Canada with Benedict Arnold and all those guys kicking ass up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's uh, – um, you know, you're moving now towards New York City would be the next thing. So uh, September 1776, and uh, they're doing what is – what we would now call force recon, where the mission is to gather intelligence – and your goal is to not engage the enemy, but you're just per- kind of like look. Just yeah, kind of like. But just... you're you're armed to the teeth in case you do have to engage. So, so. like like real James Bond scenario right now. Yeah, kind of going on. Okay. So, but it's a it's a good sized force too. What I would equate it to, and it's because I'm I'm on a, a kick with it recently, when they send in the Colonial Marines in Aliens, that they're on a. It, it's technically like we're trying to figure out what's going on over here, but. Yeah, we're, we're ready. To, we're not shooting right away, but we will shoot the second we have to. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those. Um, now, does does our boy Nathan like his drink shaken or stirred? That's a <laughs> well, uh, drinking comes into it too, man. It's uh, it, it's wild how this all goes because y- y- we think of James Bond as the ultimate spy, and and he is because the gadgets, the 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 way he's cunning, all that other stuff. Nathan Hale almost too too much of a Boy Scout to be a good spy. Uh-huh. So we're going to cover that in a second here. But uh, Knowlton's Rangers are out on a uh, force recon, if you will. They're... I don't know, man. Johnny English is a pretty good spy, too. <laughs> Mr. Bean. I was also trying to see if there's any Muppet spies, and it just wasn't clicking. <laughs> I was trying to – yeah, right? Inter- uh, you, yeah, I'm drawing a blank on that, too. There's no Muppet spy flicks. We're going to write it, KP. <laughs> it, it could be done. This is the time for writing. Um, but uh, So these Rangers are out on their recon. And uh, they're doing. A, they're, they're supposed to report to General Washington about British outposts in New York City, so they can figure out where potential attacks are coming from, what are the strong points, what are the weak points. The mission was recon, but uh, again, they're considered light infantry, which just means no cannon. So you got muskets and, and sharpshooters and stuff like that. Um, Armed to the teeth. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it's they're ready for a rumble if they gotta. Um, but uh, as the Rangers continue their foray into British territory, they encounter British infantry. So the Rangers managed a tactical retreat, which is where, hey, we're not in a good position to fight, so we're going to move back so that we can regroup. Yeah. So it's not a it's not a cowardice thing. Um, but uh, they, It's just, you're fucking us up. We're going to figure out how to not get fucked up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know, you're shutting down the pass game, so we got to figure out how to run the ball kind of a thing. But um, okay. anyway, they uh, uh, the Rangers then manage a tactical retreat and later successfully uh, mount a counterattack. So they're able to pull off this counterattack, and uh, which is good. They're saving the day here. They then get reinforced by a couple other uh, colonial groups, and uh, or regiments, I should say. And um, what sucks, though, is that there's during a later attack, 
Washington orders Knowlton to attack the enemy rear, okay, uh, of the line. So that you're going to try to have the element of surprise and be able to kind of almost flank them. So it's a maneuver move. And uh, unfortunately, due to a couple miscalculations and uh, a couple other weird things here, they wind up getting smack dab in like the middle of the, the right side of the line. And the guys can see them coming the entire time. So it's like, uh, like imagine when, like, uh, you know, when somebody's about to sneak up on you and, and you turn around at the last second and they got their hands out like that. And they're like, oh, hey, uh, I definitely wasn't here to strangle you. <laughs> so, um, they get into a heavy gunfight and uh, a lot of guys are dropping left and right here. Uh, Knowlton himself now is uh, rallying the, the cause. He's got his sword out, leading the charge to try to get through this. And he gets fucking killed himself. Wow. So Knowlton's dead. One of the he is lauded as an American hero. He's a symbol of the revolution for that time. Um, they write about his glorious death, all that other stuff. But um, this New York campaign is one of Washington's worst defeats. Okay, the British are able to pull off flanking maneuvers with relative ease. Um, they're getting resupplied now because they control New York Harbor too. We still have no navy at this point. Um, the Continentals were beaten in uh, Brooklyn, aka the Battle of Brooklyn, aka the Battle of Long Island, depending on where you like to get your pizza. You know, you, you talk to Long Island kids, they'll say, oh, yeah, that was us. You talk to my Brooklyn buddies, they're just like, right here, footsteps of the revolution. You know, forget about I it. I love how there's still jokes about that to this day. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's fear. You know what I mean? There, there's a lot of fear um, because these guys are now, they're in Manhattan. So Washington's up in like Harlem area. Okay. And because uh, keep in mind, most of this, again, pre-Tammany Hall, because remember Tammany Hall, um, like original New York City was just kind of like the the um, just kind of all over the place a well, little bit. Really, southern Manhattan because you didn't have Central Park designated yet. You didn't have uh, the Upper East Side and Upper West Side weren't really built up. So you just had kind of also like, areas that would later become right. Harlem. Yes. Yeah, so, so this is mostly rural areas at the time. Okay. So kind of wild to think about. Now, um, anyway, as they're they're dealing with all that stuff, um, they're fearing and knowing that a pending British invasion of Manhattan is coming. They've lost Brooklyn. They lost Long Island. Okay, so they're, they're not. They're now concentrating their forces in Manhattan, and they have to figure out how the fuck they're going to get off an island. Now, you know what I mean? It's almost a little Kurt Russell, Snake Plissken action. George Washington escaped from New York. Escaped from Long Island. <laughs> yeah. So he's got to figure out how the hell he's going to get his guys out of there, or, or does he need to evacuate? Can they hold it? You know what I mean? And where's inevitably the British are coming? They know that. Okay. Um, they know that those guys are about to show up. They just don't know where they're going to land. Where's Ernest Borgnine in this situation? That's a <laughs> I feel like he'd just be able to fix everything. Hey, you're George Washington, aren't you? <laughs> so, um, but uh, as they're trying to move on and figure out what the next move is going to be here, George Washington asks for a volunteer to be a spy to go behind enemy lines undercover on his own, unable to be reinforced, Okay. Uh, and this guy needs to be able to report back to them on troop movements. So that's going to mean secret correspondence. That's going to mean espionage. That means literally being a spy. So, like, how long would that have lasted if he was supposed to do that? Was it like a months-long mission, or was it just something kind of quick? Or it would have been my guess. That's a great question, by the way. But uh, I think that in my mind, the mission would have lasted as long as it took him to secure the information he needed. So once he finds out where the British are going to be invading Manhattan from. And this is why women are better spies, too, because they can just coax anything out of men with a little flirtation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. well, because we're desperate to impress them. But, <laughs> uh, 
So uh, a request directly from Washington. I mean, that that's that's heavy duty stuff, man. General Washington is sitting there. He goes, I need a man. I need someone to help me out here. Uh, who's going to be willing to go behind enemy lines as a spy, which I should preface. Spies back then were known as illegal combatants. So they would be hung upon capture. They were not treated as prisoners of war. There was no uh, ability to surrender. You got executed. Spies were not tolerated. So on both sides, or just like on both in sides? General? Yeah, typically on both sides. Yes. Wow. So, oh, so wait, it's considered. So it's considered bad to have spies, but both sides do it anyway and have harsh punishments for it. Right. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about just a uh, almost a, uh, a bizarre concept, the idea of the rules of war. No, no, I. That's that's the thing where it's like I do understand that, where I'm oh, like. Yeah. The rules of war, like, if you're going to outline what the the rules of war are, like, I'm just kind of surprised that, like, I, I'm also not surprised that spies is kind of considered, like, a no-go. But still. Well, spies is a weird thing. And then also some of the museums, if you go to around the Revolution time frame, uh, there was such a thing as an illegal musket ball. What? Yeah. Oh, wait. Was it one of those ones that had it, – it was almost like a shotgun where it had a lot more – stuff inside it or was it just like well that would be cannon shot out of a, a cannon so you, you, what you're saying is right um but the the one i'm referring to this is pretty bizarre they still have examples of it and, and some of them are, are genuine artifacts others are recreations but you would see a musket ball which is if you make the uh, the okay sign with your uh, your finger yeah, the, you'd be able to fit the musket ball in there now imagine a nail sticking out yeah, yeah. i've seen a oh. <laughs> Those things are gnarly looking. Yeah. Now, the idea of that is that it's going to make an entry wound that, that possibly can't be closed. So also a, a, a bayonet back then had a triangle shape to it. So that it was like, um, I guess you would call it an isosceles triangle where two sides are the same in length, but then one at the bottom is longer. And um, the, the idea of that being that when someone gets gutted with a bayonet, if you live through the bayonet, um, you ain't living through the fucking yeah, musket. Yeah, but the same the the thing with the musket is I'm sorry. Ugh, the same thing with the bayonet though is that if you survive the initial stabbing, that wound now can't be sewn shut because it's a triangle shape. Oh, okay. So the the medical people of the time were not really able to to counteract that. Wow. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that's why. And then th there was such a thing as a dirty cannon shot, like you were saying too, where you'd have these these things where you're you're allowed to have sounds um, like buckshot. Yes. Uh, but now imagine, but in a cannon. <laughs> but again, imagine having nasty stuff in there that's going to make an entry wound or an exit wound that can't be, uh, you know, you can't do anything. The doctor just goes, all right, well, let's keep pressure on it and hope you stop bleeding. I know there's much worse things out there, but that is one of the most horrifying things I could imagine. Oh, it's a cannon. Okay, we look out for the cannonball. No, it's buckshot in the cannon. <laughs> okay, I guess we'll just scatter. <laughs> Well, there's also that great scene in The Patriot when the, the cannonball comes and takes the guy's leg off. Oh, my God. It, it starts bouncing across the field. Oh, my God. I, I, I'll i never forget when I was a kid, my 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 mom and dad were watching that movie, and I and I walked in right at that point, and I saw that happen. <laughs> I was like five or six years old, and I was blown. I was like, what the fuck just happened? What was that? Oh, my God. Because I thought it was real. <laughs> Well, it, it don't get me wrong. That, that's a great, very underrated movie too. Um, that's a great movie. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Agreed. Um, <laughs> his uh, so he, his mission, should he choose to accept it, is to be ferried into Long Island and go undercover as a Dutch school teacher looking for work. 
Hello, Nathan Hale here. I am looking for the work. Now, is that as bad as... in a giant fan. Now, is that about as good as the spy our old boy Nathan was? Or, like, was he actually pretty decent? Well, he had a disguise, and Hale had balls. He definitely had balls to accept this mission. And he had intelligence, because everybody talks about what a cool guy he was. He was just, you know, smart dude. Um, but you can have intelligence and lack street smarts, right? That yeah. happens quite often. So uh, because he lacks the street smarts, he is traveling under his real name. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> okay. Now I'm starting to understand why he's on this podcast. Yep. And, uh, and How are you that stupid? I'm sorry. Do you know anybody who's like an Ivy League student? Like it went to like a very prestigious school or something. But dumb as rocks in certain well, well, aspects? Not necessarily, but I'm just saying like like the they, they tend to have a over-the-top pride in it. Where like I've met a lot of cool people that, that went there, but it's like typically uh, the, the running joke with Harvard people is uh, it's almost the same thing as like a vegan. Where it's like, <laughs> how do you know someone's from Harvard? Don't worry, they'll fucking tell you. <laughs> um, so because I think Yale's got a little bit of that too here. Get this shit. Um he carries with him on his person his uh, his diploma from Yale with his name on it. As you imagine that Q Q is gearing James Bond up, and he goes, "Oh, by the way, I got a diploma from the school you graduated from. Oh, cool! I can either have that or uh, you know the the car that shoots rockets. Yeah, I'll go with the diploma." Oh my god, I'm so frustrated right now. <laughs> like, oh my god, he bugs you because you like him. Can you can you imagine? Washington hearing that, like, oh yeah, I'm gonna like, yeah, that guy's got balls. He went undercover for me, but he 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 did what? Yep. He he used his real name. Not very useful as a spy. Later, extremely useful as a symbol. Um, Hale is undercover for several weeks, but here was the thing: he he was trying to get the information back and forth to get you know make sure these messages are getting back to uh, Washington with whatever info he's able to come up with. However, comma. Uh, during this time frame, New York has fallen. All right, it, we, they lost it. Washington is forced to retreat and barely escapes thanks to the actions of yet another loser inception. Okay, Captain American loser himself, Aaron Burr, is one of the guys defending the past to make sure that the guys are able to re to retreat. He moves his men into uh, a defensive position to allow the uh, the retreat safely. Was that two or three? Lose receptions in this. Technically, one. two. I, I've referenced other episodes, but these are two. These are two guys that occurred in the same story as Hale. Wow. So we got it. Was a good one. Um, but that's the thing with the revolution. These we guys need, are all. We need one more, and it's Back <laughs> to the Future. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, in a Back to the Future reference, I won't say how fast I was driving on the Parkway earlier, but uh, it would have. We would have gone back in time. <laughs> hey, man. On the Parkway, there are no roads. That's right. It is Fury Road now. Mad Max. Um, what a day. What a lovely day. <laughs> so. I appreciate that one. That one. That's a good one. I had to rewatch it soon. But uh, New York City is total chaos right now, by the way, because the, the American troops or the Continentals, we'll call them, uh, are forced to retreat. Now, if the British capture Washington and they capture the bulk of the army right there, mm -hmm. revolution's over. All right. You got bargaining power. Most of the founding fathers are getting executed. All right. Um, it, it's, a, it's a weird thing, but they're thankfully able to that's why new york is not looked at as a shameful thing for washington because he was able to retreat and regroup live to fight another day kind of a thing yeah um so they get but out this of there is like his biggest 
quote unquote failure. Oh yeah, he had uh, he got the shit kicked out of him uh, pretty much uh, early on here. But that's why his later victories are so impressive. Um, and it was about Washington too was great with staying the course because you you you'd think that the winter quarters of Valley Forge would be boring, but when you really think about the humanity going on there, where it's like guys are starving, they're away from their families, they're not necessarily getting paid because a lot of them are volunteers. It's uh, the idea that Washington could inspire you to stay is pretty overwhelming. Um, but that being said, <laughs> uh, also taking place around this time period is, uh, and there's some dispute as to whether or not it was started by the Continentals to aid in their escape, or if it was British troops trying to sabotage their escape. The Great Fire? Um, the Great Fire of 1776. So, um, chaos, chaos, chaos in New York City. And Hale is unable to receive any support whatsoever from the Continentals. It's not even really well known if he was able to get any correspondence out to them after this. But he's still undercover and he's working on stuff. Um, he's uh, got a disguise on. But one night at a uh, tavern, British loyalist and commander of the Queen's Rangers, okay, which is my father has asked that we save this guy for another episode. Because if you want the villain of this story. Robert Rogers? Yes. Yeah, don't don't scroll ahead on Wikipedia on me. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta try sometimes. No. <laughs> okay, <laughs> leave me alone, dude. He's such a wild read, though, Kahuna. It is um, Ro- that kind of has a villainous name. Yeah, to Robert it. Rogers. Yeah, he is um, major he, asshole. He has a he's literally a, there's a Vader quality to him because he's when he's a colonist fighting in the French uh, and Indian Wars. That is the guy that they're like, thank God we have men like Robert Rogers here to defend us from the French and the natives that are attacking. You know, thank – like he is a, a, the perfect colonist, if you will. But he maintains being a Tory. I think he was born in America too. Can you look that one up real quick? If, if you f- click on his uh, – Sure. It should be on his page or something like that. But um, he's got uh, – He looks like an asshole. Let's see. Yeah, he was born in Massachusetts. So he's a guy who was born in the the – the new world, if you will, but uh, was loyal to the old world. Died, born in America, died in England. Well, uh, whenever we do the episode about him, you're going to realize why he had to wind up back in England. <laughs> but uh, it, it's pretty. Now, imagine that one, too. That's got to be a trippy feeling to see for the first time uh, the, the country you've technically been fighting for your entire life. To go, like, he had, and that's a whole never mind. I'll yeah. save that question for when that happens. Yeah. Also, there's just something that. I'm thinking about Nathan, like, as you're telling me about him and just this, I'm sorry, I'm blown away by that decision to use his own name. But I'm like, I was trying to think about it from an idiot's point of view, right? Because I'm a, I'm a self-proclaimed idiot sometimes. So I'm like, why would you use your own name, you dumb? And then I'm like, it's almost the perfect disguise because no one's going to think you're stupid enough to use your real name, to do it, because if he wins and things work out the way they're supposed to, he's fine in in the new America, in the new world. Right. But at the same time, it ain't going to work out exactly how he plans. So I'm like, I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. And I know it's the dumbest thing to get caught up on, but like, it's just so surreal to me. It's like... It's the level of stupidity. I'm I'm so sorry, people. I don't mean to be that blown away, but like it's just it's just comically funny to me. Well, he frustrated. Now, there's an article. I'm sure. I think my dad's going to mention it because he sent it to me when we were doing our research for it. But it was roughly called like the nine rules of spying that Nathan Hale um, didn't follow. 
And it's, <laughs> okay. And it's literally like the the book on on how to be a spy. And by the way, spies have existed forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a natural thing. It's a, it, the, the the line between a spy and a gossip is uh, is a blurry one at times. But uh, so he didn't really know what he was doing, but he knew that he wanted to help, and that this was a way he could try to. You know, this was something he could do. Um, you know what? I feel bad now, but because of everything that you've been setting up with him, I can't imagine anyone but Dana Carvey playing this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good, that is a good casting couch for you, buddy. I'm sorry. I know we're saving for the end, but like, I was just, I can't help it. That I one. can't see him playing by any other person. Oh my God. That or, or Andy Samberg. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and let, me, let me finish the story on this one first, and then I want to get into the casting couch. Go for it. There, there is such a good sign. Um, I know who I'd want to play Robert Rogers, fucking Chris Lloyd in a fucking Judge Doom type scenario. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, hold up on that because we got we got something cool. Um, we got to finish the the story on him real quick. Then LP's got something wild for you. But Cassie, this movie—if you wrote a comedy about this, it would be very funny. See, uh, I was thinking about it. I didn't want to say because I was like, it's so rooted in true American history. Like, could you truly make something that that grim funny? And I'm like, yeah. But at the same time, should I? <laughs> should I? Is that that's the only real question? <laughs> so, uh, British loyalist and commander of the Queen's Rangers, one of the most badass units in uh, the British Army the, that's in the New World here, is our infamous legend. I'm using the word infamous uh, correctly. Robert Rogers. I mean, when you're led by Freddie Mercury, of course it's going <laughs> to have a badass troop of people. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome for that. It was. Uh, he's at a tavern one night and he spots Hale. And he recognizes him despite the disguise. Doesn't recognize, but he just goes, something ain't right here. This guy's got something up. Now, by pretending to be a fellow patriot, Rogers goes up and he goes, hey, man, uh, I'm down with Washington. You a friend of Washington, man, you know? And uh, Hale goes, oh, dude, I love what I'm actually working for him right now. <laughs> uh, they get him, not not necessarily that stupidly, but uh, or, or ignorantly, I should say. But Rogers gets Hale to admit his role in the revolution and the men apprehend him shortly after. So uh, Hale gets taken to Manhattan for questioning. Okay, they say that this happened in like the Queens area, uh, Queens, you know, obviously uh, the borough. Okay. Um, but uh, they find physical evidence on him. He's got some correspondence here. He's not adhering to like the secret codes and stuff like that. He's just writing legit letters. Um, so Hale was determined to be a spy. Uh, oh, sorry, I, I shouldn't. I, wow, well, I, I read that right, but I I read that with the wrong inflection. Hale was determined by the British to be a spy. Okay, oh. they they declare him a spy. They realize that this guy he's not a Dutch school teacher. You know, it's his it's a flimsy enough disguise that we're able to see that this guy's up to something nefarious, and uh, which back then made you like we said an illegal combatant, and the penalty as a spy was death. So now knowing his death is imminent, he's being held uh, in in a, a mansion in uh, Manhattan. Um, Hale requests a Bible. His request is denied. He would later request a clergyman, all right, and in, in theory to get as you know the last rites, if you will, or to, to be able to clear his conscience, kind of a thing. That's crazy that they. That's crazy that they denied that. They, they denied the Bible, then they denied the clergyman too. I mean, that's wild to me. I don't understand that one, but regardless, so I think I, a lot of them they they saw spies as um, dishonorable. So it was the idea that um, that that these guys are like a saboteur, like you're gonna like you're gonna kill civilians, kind of a thing, or you're not fighting properly. Like, uh, okay. just keep in mind these are pitched battles, so it's it's two armies standing 
face to face. So there's almost um, there's almost a sporting event to it. You know what I mean? Where you have respect for people on the other side of the field. Yeah. Um, and then this the idea of a spy being able to manipulate that and play, you know, in the shadows is uh, some people look down on them, so they didn't want to give them the honor of a soldier's you know uh, treatment. So that's where you would get uh, okay. um, the spy treatment. And uh, unfortunately, on September twenty second, seventeen seventy six, Nathan Hale was hanged in New York City. The location is often disputed, but the most popular location seems to be 66th and 3rd Avenue, which when this blows over, I can't wait to go there. There's a plaque commemorating Nathan Hale in New York really? City. Really? Yep. Probably uh, probably got it. I, think, I know for a fact there's a 7-Eleven, like a couple storefronts away from it now, but that's just what New York is. Um, is it open? That's the question. Well, the uh, yeah, also true. Now, that's considered <laughs> to be part of, I guess, the modern Upper East Side. Uh, so, you know, I've probably... Because uh, it's changed so much, but still... That's crazy, man. But I, I, there's so much cool history in um, in New York City if you look for it. You know, they they don't they're not out in the open about it. Like uh, Boston's got the Freedom Trail and stuff like that, and then uh, yeah. you know, other battlefields and everything. But if you look for it in New York City, you can find some really cool shit. Um, you, you know, man, our boy Nathan, <laughs> he does he, he had it going for him, but he just got. So how do you get so stupid in the end? <laughs> like and I truly do believe it would make a great Mel Brooks esque comedy. That would be a fun one to do. Um and he he's got some there's some comedic elements to it, but the thing that we have to say, this is how you if you want to know how if you fuck up and you want to go out a hero, this is how you do it. That this is his his last chapter is his greatest for sure. Um Hale, by all accounts, presents himself well at his execution. That's a very that happens a lot, but that's also a very British and American thing of to to present yourself well. Like no, like no, like hysterics, like yeah, just just, just straight uh, up, like this is it, and and we're on our way out. You know, um, his last words have come to be world renowned, but are still under some speculation. The most popular version of what Hale said is, and here's a great quote, and this is the one that you definitely have heard before. My only regret is that I have but one life to give for my country. Wow, them some words. <laughs> Damn. But uh, can you can you imagine someone in in like Washington's position after this point? Like you hear what happened to him, and you're pissed at him because he was just being a really dumb spy. But then he just says something like that, and you're like, Damn. Yeah. American tears wipe away <laughs> with the American flag. <laughs> well, he um he he his speech was longer than just that, but of course, no, nobody actually recorded the speech. And so it's just British officers and citizens that are hearing this for the most part. Okay? Oh, what? No one filmed it vertically with their <laughs> cell phones? Well, yeah. I mean, because originally his thing that he had to figure out was how are the British coming into Manhattan? Are they going to use the tunnel, Port Authority, PATH train? Oh, we don't man, know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> New Jersey Transit, the Penn Station. Like, there's a lot to be figured out. But uh, in his last speech, they, they, there's a couple of things. One says that uh, – someone says that he quoted a play that it was popular uh, with, uh, with him and some of his cohorts at uh, – uh, in the, the Lenonian society. Other people say that uh, it was a longer quote that was broken down. But what I thought was really cool was it gets written down and spoken about by a British officer who is uh, on scene there. And he writes to an American officer that he's friendly with. They have friendly correspondence where it's not um, it's not business. It's just like we're buddies. Like, hey, we're on the opposite side of this thing, but we're friendly. Yeah. And the American guy goes, holy shit, this is what Hale – like." And then they they run with that story and they they print and that becomes Hale is a almost an overnight hero of the revolution, and it's like you know a remember the Alamo type thing, mm -hmm. 
where it's like, dude, we, the, Nathan Hale gave his life for this. So you get a chance, you better stand your ground, man. You know, it's kind of a like all of a sudden that that's your your gridiron halftime speech is Nathan Hale. Probably a dumb question, but is he buried in New York? They don't know where the body is, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, I, I'd have to look that up again uh, to, to go a little deeper. But um, I, I do know this. Um, I, as a comedian, I, I do stand up, or at least I used to. Um, <laughs> there's um, sign of the times, man. Yeah, so I'm sorry. We'll be back. I'm hoping my September dates are okay. But uh, anyhow, the uh, I always uh, when a comedian gets the light in the back, um, that that usually means wrap it up. And if a comedian gets a frantic light, that means yo, you're done. Sometimes you'll see a comedian run the light. I have never really ran the light in my comedy career, but if I was making my last speech at the gallows, you better believe I'm doing an hour. <laughs> so making a whole routine. Exactly. Uh, Hale executed at age 21. By the way, that's how old he gets to be. 21 years old. <laughs> you weren't kidding when you told me that his when when we were talking about when he was 15 was his geriatric. Age. Yeah, he was on the down cycle at that point, but. Wow. Uh, he would become a symbol of the revolution, a hero of the American, an instant hero in American history. And, and a state hero. State hero of Connecticut, memorialized all over the country. Lots of plaques, lots of military bases named after him. There is actually a statue or a plaque, I believe, uh, in front of the CIA building, whereas he, he is considered to be the first spy to die in service of American uh, freedom. And uh, also, there is a standing statue on campus at his beloved Yale. So, wow. He's got a good one there, but uh, I figured if uh, when when it, it, for the comedic sense of it, when Robert Rogers uh, says, "Hey, by the way, I'm a patriot too, man." If you had Andy Samberg playing Nathan Hale, oh, that's crazy, dude! I'm a pa- I'm actually working for you know Washington right now. And he goes, "Actually, you're under arrest. I'm with the British." You just, know, just who, picture Samberg going, "Oh, come on!" Is this where we just get into like a brief Kahuna's casting couch? Because I know exactly who would play. I know exactly hit, who would play. Me. While you're doing that, I'm going to text Larry to get him ready. All right, I'm sticking to my guns. Dana Carvey is going to play our boy Nathan Hale. Just, <laughs> but no, truthfully, I mean, I could see Nicholas Holt playing him really well from uh, from Mad Max Fury Road. He played, uh, I think his name, his character's name was Knox. He was the he was one of the the soldiers that ended up helping Max in Fury Road. Yeah, like Nux or something. Yes, think, right. Yeah, that was. I, a- I would probably cast him. And then for, but if we're going in the comedic sense and we're sticking with Andy Samberg as playing Nathan Hale, I would, for Robert Rogers, I would cast Danny McBride. Because <laughs> I, I just think. What's up, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, yeah, I totally love America. Like, what you, how much do you love America? Oh, man, I love it so much. I'm actually working for Washington right now. Oh, really, bro? It's fucking awesome. <laughs> I love how also this man would later go on to write one of the best. Halloween movies as well, but still. Oh, McBride's a gem. Another time for him. <laughs> but yeah, man, that's I, my brief Kahuna's cast of couch. I'm sorry I spoiled it before. I guess I'm a little rusty when it comes to being on a podcast. No, you, you got to shoot when the shot's ready, my friend. <laughs> um, hey, guys, so uh, what we did is we took a look real quick uh, through the uh, the magic of Kahuna's technology. Uh, he wizarded some stuff up for us. We're going to be able to get my father on the line here shortly. We're going to release that as a bonus episode. So it'll be separate content. It'll start right after this one. So here's the wrap-up of the first episode. You guys got all the information you could possibly need on Nathan Hale. My father's got some other cool stuff that he talked to us about uh, via a Zoom phone call. And uh, we'll do that one. But like I said, 
as always, guys, if you like the show, leave us a five. You know, again, I hope you like it enough to leave us a five star review. But leave us a review, whatever it is. If you leave a written comment, it helps us uh, jump up in the, the the rankings a little bit. And podcasts are quite popular right now, so if you can take a look at it, and uh, you know, maybe some other people are going to stumble upon the show. Everyone that stumbles upon it seems to like it. And I want to say thank you so much to the the diligent fans of the show. People have helped us out with a lot of stuff. You guys know who you are. I will start giving uh, name drops. I don't have a list in front of me today. But that being said, guys, that was Nathan Hale, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born.